You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Annette and I um, have a niece whose name is Chantel, and Chantel was engaged to get married. So we didn't, we didn't know much about the guy she was engaged to, and we didn't know anything about his family, but they did something we thought was really nice. They invited all of us over to their house so that the two families could get to know each other. And so Annette and I got there late because we had somewhere else we had to be. But when we finally did get there, um, everybody was outside on the deck and, and in the yard and they were having a great time and they were eating. And they said to us, you guys should go in the kitchen. Everything is out. Get, get something to eat. Fill your plates and come out and join us. And so we went in the kitchen and here we are in this house of these people that we don't know, but we would like to know a little more about them because they're going to be marrying into our family. And so... As we're getting our plates, I said to Annette, hey, Annette, look at the refrigerator. And so she looked up at the refrigerator and on the refrigerator, there were like pictures of family. And then there were like some magnets that I thought represented some hobbies. And then there were like three other things on the refrigerator and they were scripture verses, verses out of the Bible that they had put on the refrigerator. And so Annette looked at me and she kind of raised her eyebrows and she said, well, that's encouraging just judging on the refrigerator, this seems like a pretty good family. And so I remember leaving that event that night and, and I kind of had this idea that if I catch a glimpse of your refrigerator, I might learn a lot about you. And so if I'm at your house and you notice me going in your kitchen, looking at your refrigerator, that's, that's all I'm doing, just trying to figure out a little more about you. So I think it's, I think it's too corny to say what is hanging on the refrigerator of your heart, so I won't say it. But I think you get the idea of where I want to go today. If, if you were making a list of things that are really important to you, what kinds of things are you going to put on the list? Or if there's somewhere in your life that you're going to post things that really matter to you, what are the things that you're going to post? And so I think there's a room full of people here this morning. Many of you would say, Rick, if I was going to talk about what's really important in my life, I would say to you, what's really important in my life is my relationship with God and my following Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing in all of my life, my relationship with God and the fact that I follow Jesus. I got a feeling there's many of you who would say after that, it's my relationships with friends and with family that really matter to me. Those are the things that are important. Let me ask you, is there anybody who would say, my relationships with people who do not profess to be Christian, that's really important to me as well. The relationships that I have and the relationships that I'm making with people who do not profess to be Christian, that's really high on my list of what's important. You see, the truth of the matter is this, that people who do not follow Jesus are very important to God. And if they're very important to God, why aren't they more important to me? In the book of Luke chapter 15, and if you want to grab a Bible and open it, you're you're welcome to do so now. And I'll start reading with the 11th verse. But when you get to the first verse, here's what happens. Luke tells us who is hanging out with Jesus and who is listening to him teach. 
And Luke says there's two groups of people listening to Jesus teach. There are tax collectors and sinners. So you just got to wonder what kind of sinners are listening to Jesus, to Jesus teach. Because Luke says they kept gathering to hear him. One of the questions that I think you have to ask yourself when you read that verse is, do people who are sinful enjoy hanging out with me? Do people who are not like me, who are not Christian, who do not follow Christ, do they enjoy spending time with me? And then Luke says, also there were teachers of the law and Pharisees. And so you got this kind of mixed group of people. You got people who are who are sinners, who don't even claim to follow Jesus, but they're very attracted to him. And so they want to come and hear him teach. And then you have people who are religious leaders, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And they're hanging out with Jesus because they want to hear him teach. And then the teachers of the law and the Pharisees begin to mutter to themselves. Why does he always hang out with sinners and eat with them and welcome them? I don't know about you, but I can't read it. Without saying to myself, Rick, how much time do you spend with people who are not Christian during a given week? How much of my week do I hang out with people who don't follow Christ? How much energy am I investing in people who don't know the Lord? Or do I just spend most of my time with people who are already like me? And so when Jesus realizes that these people are muttering these things, why does he hang out with sinners? Why does he welcome them? Why does he eat with them? Jesus says, I want to tell you guys all a story. And so here's this audience with sinful people and religious leaders. And Jesus says, I've got a story I want to tell all of you, okay? And here's the story. There was a guy who was a shepherd and he has 100 sheep, but he loses one of those sheep. Jesus says, what does he do? He goes out and he looks for this lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds that lost sheep, leaving the 99, he comes home with his sheep over his shoulders and he says to his friends, you've got to come and rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. And so as if this mixed crowd of people doesn't get it, Jesus says, I want to tell you a second story. The second story is about a lady who has ten coins. And she loses one of those coins. And so she lights a lamp and she begins to sweep the house until she finds the lost coin. And then the lady calls all of her friends and says, you've got to come to my house and we're going to have a party and celebrate the fact that I found my lost coin. And then Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing with the angels of God when one sinner repents. And as if they didn't get it, that mixed crowd again, Jesus says, let me tell you a third story. And so beginning with verse 11, here's the story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. We'll talk about what that looks like in a moment. And so not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. 
And what did he do in the distant country but squandered his wealth in wild living? So what do you mean by wild living? Well, the older son later on will say to his father, he spent all of his money on prostitutes. So it gives you an idea of the kind of life that he was living. And so after he had spent everything, there was this severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And so he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. Man, what the pigs are eating really looks good. I'm hungry. But nobody gave him anything to eat. And so when he came to his census, I love that verse because what it really implies is this moment of truth. Have you had like one of those moments in your life when you just kind of woke up? You, you kind of had this moment of truth. You, you had this moment of what was I thinking? What was I doing? And that's what happened to them. He came to his senses and how he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. It's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. God runs. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But that's all the speech he got out. The father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Because the son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And he's found. So they begin to celebrate. That's the first scene. Now, here's the second scene. Are you ready? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry. And he said, I'm not going in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. It almost reminds you of when the father goes out to meet the younger son, doesn't it? But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered Your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So this is God's word for us today. And my prayer is that God speaks to us through his word in a way that it changes the way that we think.
There's a family that Annette and I are very close to. We love them very much. They have a son who committed some awful crimes. I mean, crimes that are too awful to talk about on Sunday morning. Uh, Crimes that scar people for the rest of their lives. Crimes that leave deep, deep wounds. He'll die in prison because of his crimes, and he'll die many years after his aging parents have died. And so here they are in their retirement years, and they're now very close to 80. And they spend what money they have. Um, They spend their time and their energy traveling back and forth to a prison on a weekly visit. And they do everything they can to support their son who is in prison from outside of the prison. He is their link or their connection to the outside world. And so sometimes they're criticized for it. Sometimes family members even say, what, what are you doing? When you think about what he did, why are you even spending your time or your money or your energy on him? And so the mother says to me one day, Rick, what would you do if it were Brittany? Or what would you do if it were Morgan? I think you would do the same thing that we're doing. And so as long as we have breath to pray, we're going to pray for him. And as long as we're able to get ourselves there, we're going to visit him. And as long as we have money, we're going to share it with him. See, when I, when I read this story, the one thing that I understand for sure is that the father in the story represents God. And what matters to God are lost people. And so I'm a pastor. Every Sunday I get up and I preach. People like you gather in. And I can't just open the Bible without evaluating my own life. And there's no way that I can really look this story in the face and not be honest with myself and ask myself, so hey Rick, How much do lost people matter to you? Are you concerned about lost people like God is concerned about lost people? And is that what God expects of you? So could we just, you know, be open with each other just for a minute? And could you just kind of think with me a minute? And would you just talk? for a second in your own heart and in your own mind about if you've got a list of things that are important, how high on the list are lost people? And your relationships with people who do not profess to be Christian, how concerned are you about people dying without ever knowing God? I'm living with this right now. We, uh, we weren't with you last week. We were in Cincinnati with our, our oldest daughter, Brittany. Brittany is 25 and Brittany got married. And it was great. I don't, I don't know. You, you go to family weddings, I'm sure, but we've never had a family wedding. And so we just, 
we just weren't thinking it was going to be that much fun. We weren't thinking about all of our friends and family being together and, and the kind of party that that would be. But it was, it was great. Somebody said, did you cry when you, when you, you know, gave your Brittany away? And I said, well, I didn't cry at the wedding. When, when we did this father-daughter dance, that's the only time I cried. I think just looking into Brittany's eyes, the honesty was too much. And I was probably more full of emotion than I thought, and so I cried when we danced together. And I don't really know that I know how to dance. I just rocked back and forth with Britt. <laughs> Somebody said, did you cry? I said, I didn't cry till I danced with her. And then I said, I'm going to do finances tonight. I suppose I'll cry tonight when I do finances. <laughs> And I think maybe I did cry a little bit when I did the finances that night. I got two daughters. Now I've got a son-in-law. I never had sons. We had a dog named Sugar. She was a little lost ops of hair in her face. Female dog. So all I know is living in a home with only females. I never had any sons. But Jesus tells a parable. A parable, you remember, is a short, simple story. A short, simple story that illustrates a truth, a moral or religious truth. You understand it's a parable. It's not saying that this ever really happened. There are things that are too extreme in the story to have ever happened. It's a story that Jesus makes up, a parable that he makes up to illustrate a simple moral truth or principle, okay? And so he says, there was a man who had two sons, And the younger son goes to his father and he says, I would like for you to give me my inheritance. Let me explain to you how it worked in the ancient world. You would not be appreciative if this is how it worked in our world today. You didn't ask the favor until the father passed away. So it was disrespectful. But once the father had passed away, then here's how it was divided up. The older son would receive twice as much as everybody else. So if there were two sons... That means he got two-thirds of the estate and the younger son got one-third. And so what happens is the father gives the younger son one-third of all of his wealth. And the son takes the money and he goes out and he spends it recklessly in what the Bible calls wild living. It's interesting to me that we call the story the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Because when you open the Bible and you begin to read the story, clearly it says there was a man who had two sons. And the truth that is conveyed in the story of the older son is just as important as the truth that's conveyed in the story of the younger son. There was a man who had two sons. We call him the prodigal. Once in a while, somebody will say to me, when I ask them about how many kids they have, they'll say, well, we have three, and they'll go through naming their kids, and they'll come to one and say, and Pastor Rick, that's our prodigal. And I think I know what they mean by that. Are there any prodigals in the room? I guess I wonder if there's anybody here that's hearing the story saying, hey, you're talking about me. I kind of left my family's moral code, maybe even the religious code. I kind of left home. So if you were talking to my family, Pastor Rick, they might even say that I'm their prodigal. Do you know what the word prodigal means? The word prodigal means extravagant 
spender. You can look it up. That's what it means. That's the definition of the word prodigal. Now, let me ask the question again. Are there any prodigals in the room? Does anybody live with a prodigal? Does anybody set him beside a prodigal? And so Tim Keller says in his book that he writes about the story of the prodigal son, if there is a prodigal in the story, it is not the son. Tim Keller says the prodigal is the father who represents God. And not because he gave the son a third of his wealth, it's because when the son comes home, what does the father do? He lavishes upon the son love and forgiveness and kindness and mercy and grace. And Keller says, if you want to title the sermon, the story rather, you ought to title it prodigal for sure, but not son. You should call it the prodigal God. Because God gives and gives and gives extravagantly. Grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and a robe and a ring and shoes and a feast. And he just keeps giving. Once in a while when we talk about Scripture, I will say to you, it's really important that you don't just extract a verse out and say, I'm going to apply this to my life today. But it's important to understand who said it and who they were saying it to and what was the purpose they were saying it. And so in this particular narrative that Luke gives us of the story of the prodigal son, he's telling about Jesus' conversation with all of these people, sinful people and teachers of the law and Pharisees. And so if you didn't get the other two stories, Jesus says, I'll put you in a story. And so the younger son represents the sinners in the crowd. He's the guy who leads the family's morals and religion. And he goes off and he begins to live the life that he wants to live. And Jesus is saying to the people in the crowd who are sinners, he represents you. You didn't stick with the family religion or the family morals. You, you went out and you did your own thing. And there's a lot of people listening to me right now that say, Pastor Rick, I, I've done that. But Jesus says the younger, the older son rather, he stayed at home. He, he prayed at every time you were supposed to pray. He obeyed the scriptures. He kept the family moral code. He worked on the farm. All of those things. He represents the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. But the Father, the Father represents God. Annette and I were eating dinner with this uh, couple in the church one night a few years ago. And uh, my phone was ringing and I knew it, but I was eating dinner and so I didn't bother to look at who was calling. And, And then I could tell by by another signal that I got in a voicemail. But I still didn't worry about it. I just thought, well, when we leave these people, I'll, you know, look at my phone. You, you do that, right? And then I realized that I got in a text and I thought, well, maybe I should look at the text because maybe it's the people who are calling. Maybe, maybe it's one of the girls. Maybe somebody needs something. And so I pulled my phone out of my pocket and the text just said, call as soon as possible. And so I stepped away from dinner and I made a phone call and it was a young girl who attended our church, had been in a car accident and it looked like that her life might be in the balances. She might not make it. She was hurt really bad. 
And they were saying, can you please come to this hospital? It was an hour away. And so I just went back to the table and I said to the people that I was with, uh, could you guys run in at home? I've got to go to a hospital. And so if you're wondering, yes, I probably stuck them with the bill. I really don't remember, but maybe I did. I don't know. You, you ever go to something like that? As a pastor, you, you, you show up at stuff like that kind of often. Everybody doesn't. If it happens in your family, that, that's when you go maybe, or a close friend. But sometimes you go and sometimes you don't really know what to say or do. And you, you just pray that God will give you wisdom and that God will help you to be a comfort to people and all of those kinds of things. And so when I walked into the emergency room, I find myself searching eyes and trying to understand, is she still alive or dead? And you got to know how to respond and what's going on here and Before I knew it, the Father is moving toward me really fast. And He's moving toward me with energy and excitement, but it's negative excitement. And He's pointing His finger. And before I can really gather myself and understand what's happening, He is kind of up to me and He's kind of in my face with His finger. And He is saying things like, I am very upset about this. And I'm very mad about this. And this was not supposed to happen. And we had a deal. And I know that he knows I wasn't God. But since I was God's representative in that moment, he decided he would take it out on me. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to respond. I don't remember anywhere in the Bible where it says that that's the way it works. If we... If we do what we should do, then God won't let any bad thing come into our lives. It's this kind of unwritten myth that we live with sometimes as we live in the circles of the Christian community that says, if I go to church and if I pay my tithe and if I love my neighbor and if I do right, if I scratch the back of God, then I obligate him to scratch mine. It's just nowhere in the Bible. Let me see if I can think of another way to say that. Okay, here's a good way. All these years I've worked and I've obeyed you. Because that's what the son in the story says. All these years, Dad, I've been faithful to work on the farm and I've done what you've asked me to do and I've obeyed you. And I think in our lives, it sounds more like this. I went to church almost every Sunday. I gave when the offering came by. I helped teach that Sunday school class. I sung in a choir. I tried to help people who were hurting. There were a lot of things I wanted to do that I would never let myself do. You know what I think he was really saying? I'm the one who should have gotten the feast. I'm the one who should have gotten the blessings. I think like that. I see somebody who doesn't love God, who doesn't honor Him with their lives, 
And they seem to have everything go their way. And then there's this little couple who love the Lord and pray hard and give money away and nothing works for them. And then they get cancer. And I say, God, I don't get it. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I feel like I read things that aren't there. You know what I mean? I don't want to impose on the Scripture, but I think I hear the Father saying, wait, wait a minute, wait. You, you thought I loved you because you did all this work on the farm? You, you thought I loved you because you obeyed me? All appreciated and all noted. No. I love you because you're my son. And I love him because he's my son. And nothing will ever change that. And when he came home, I didn't know anything to do but have a party. Because you understand, don't you, how much my lost son matters? Do, do I have the ability to look beyond the sin and see the sinner? Do lost people matter to me like lost people matter to God? Somebody may be saying, Rick, I'm, I'm not a Christian and I don't appreciate you calling me lost. I don't feel lost. Please understand I'm talking within the context of the story. And the father says, my son that was lost is now found. If I'm going to follow Jesus, and that's what I call myself, a Christian, a Christ follower, Rick Harvey here, Christian, I follow Christ. Then I'm going to have to spend time with people who are sinners. Because that's what Christ did. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus spent time with people who are sinful. And they liked him. They enjoyed hanging out with him. They kept gathering to hear him. I have an uncle. who is a pretty strict, Bible-thumping. I'll leave it at that. And he's talking about his brother, my other uncle. And with a smile on his face, you know what he says? One of these days, he's going to split hell wide open. 
I said, did you say that with a smile on your face? And he bit back and said, it's the truth. I said, that is not the question. Did you say that with a smile on your face? And all you see is the older brother. And so if I made a list today, if you made a list today, who's on the list? Who are the people in your life that you would say, these people are sinful people? They don't profess to be Christian. They don't know the Lord. They don't walk with God. But these are the people that are very high on my list of what's important to me. And these are the people in my life, Pastor Rick, that I'm trying to share Jesus with. And the only way that I do that at first is just let them get to know me and let them know that I love them. They know who I am. But these are the people that have real high priority in my life. These are the people that really matter to me because they matter to God. I think, I think the only thing we can do before we go today is, is either pray for ourselves or pray for lost people. And so I kind of wonder if you found yourself in the story. Anybody here say, I'm, I'm the younger son, Rick. I, I walked away. I walked away from God. I walked away from the moral code. I walked away from the religious code. I walked away. I'm out there. I'm living out there. I've been living out there. I'm the younger son. And so I want to be forgiven I want to come home. You don't know how bad some days. I just want to go home. And if that's the case this morning, then I would say that's, that's who you pray for. You pray for yourself. You ask for forgiveness. You ask to come back to the house. And the Father's got open arms. If you say, Rick, I'm more like the older brother. You know? I, uh, I don't seem to care much about lost people. It doesn't seem to be very high on my priority list. If it were up for me, probably most people from here on in would just have to go to hell. I don't do much. help people find Jesus then I think you got to pray for yourself if you say no Rick that's not my heart I pray for people I I love people I'm, I'm reaching out I'm trying to let God use me then I just think you pray for people that are in your life that you're trying to have an influence on So Kyle's going to come and he's going to sing a song. And before he sings, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I want you to feel free to pray where you are or you can come to the altar and pray. I think, though, that the thing that I would ask of you is that everybody here, everybody here, would would you please pray before you leave today? Would you please have an open, honest conversation with the Father 
before you walk out of the room today. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. And what I wanted desperately today, Lord, was that you would change the way we think by the power of giving us this story, by the power of your word. I think what you were trying to say to the sinners and to the religious people, all of you have broken my heart. Those are hard words to hear. And so now, your arms are open to all of us. You went to get both sons to come to a feast. Thank you for your grace and your love. Amen.
want to stand with me? I'm so grateful, Lord. In the Bible, I see where God loves and where God blesses. It tells me, God, that you care. But God, in this story, I see you running. I remember one day you ran to me. So thankful. Lord, give us a heart like you have. Give us the kind of love, Lord, that you have. Make loving people who don't know you a a priority for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can linger if you like. If you'd like to go, you should feel free to go. God bless you. Great to be with you today. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.